Lord, you give eyesight to the blind, and I thank you for that. <laughs> well, what a blessed opportunity, Lord, uh, to gather in your name and uh, be with his saints. I often wonder if Jesus had submitted the resume of his 12 disciples to one of those so-called expert modern management team today, what would they say? I think it would go something like this. To Jesus from the Jordan Management Consultants in Jerusalem. Dear Jesus, thank you for submitting the resumes of your 12 men that you have for management positions in your new organization. All of them have taken a battery of tests and have not only run the results through our computers, but have also arranged personal interviews with each of them to our psychologists in vocational aptitude consultation. It is a staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you're undertaking. They do not have what it takes to even comprehend the concept of a team. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capabilities in leadership. Simon Peter, in particular, is emotionally unstable, given to fits of anger. He seems too compulsive to be put in any position of oversight. Andrew has no quali- quali- qualities of leadership whatsoever. And the two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above company loyalty. They also have quite impatient with others and prone to moments of uncontrolled rage. Thomas demonstrates a questionable attitude and would tend to undermine morale, and we feel it our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted from the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. (laughs) One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is ambitious and responsible and highly favored by everyone on staff. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your control and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory. Sincerely, the Jordan Management Consultants of Jerusalem. Of course, God chose to do it his way with ordinary people like you and me. (laughs) Oh, worshiping the Lord, isn't that great? I just... I'm just fogging up my glasses now, that's all. (laughs) In some ways, the Christian life seems to be filled with extremes and excesses. Our righteousness is is to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. We are to be exceedingly glad when when people persecute us. God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises and has promised to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. You know, however, Solomon warned us about the dangers of excesses in our walk with the Lord. We're to talk and walk in reverence of his holiness, in his righteousness, and not our own. See, I want to live in a way that pleases him and glorifies God. 
the whole of God's creation is wonderfully balanced. God gave us a covenant in Genesis 8 to Noah when he landed the boat. And he says to Noah, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. See, our Christian life is to be balanced with weakness, strength, labor, rest, gain and loss, shadow and sunshine. And our mountaintop experiences, although wonderful, we, we wish we could stay there, needs to be balanced by those times that we spend in the valley. And uh, it's so important. And God gives us that balances. James wrote, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. There needs to be a balance in our Christian walk. And... James learned to glory in those valley experiences, those trials of his faith. Because, you know, I got to chew on for a little bit what James was saying here when he was saying, develops patience in our life. And when I first got saved, that's what my walk lacked, was patience. I figured I, w- I would pray about something and, and I want an answer now. And I want God to answer and I want, I want him to see it my way. But God teaches us patience. And it's that through those trials that we learn to trust him. And we learn and he multiplies our faith through those trials of testing that... Uh, He is perfecting us in the Lord. If we are to grow in Christ, we are going to be stretched and tested. There are going to be highs and lows. And I have found, me and and Farron were sort of talking about this week. and, And, you know, I remember when my highs were outrageous. I mean, my mountaintop experiences were like, woo! But my lows were really dramatic and I'd feel like throwing it throwing the towel in and quitting and they were just devastating my highs aren't as high anymore but but my lows aren't as low and 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 I see the Lord in everything that he takes me through I see the Lord's hand in every trial that I go through and I see God what what you doing Lord you're doing something special you're taking me to a special place in my faith, you know? And, and uh, when I don't see those testings, then I start to worry, Lord, are you there? <laughs> and James says, count it all joy. Not always easy to do when you're going through those valleys. God gives us wisdom to understand that he is perfecting us through everything that he does, good or indifferent in our life. Now, we ended uh, two weeks ago in uh, chapter 7, Ecclesiastes, in uh, verse 19. And I want to start with verse 19 because it takes you right into verse 20. 
And he goes, wisdom strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of a city. This is sort of what I was talking about. Wisdom strengthens us to, to persevere. And it's through that trying of our faith that God teaches us patience. And that's wisdom. That's godly wisdom in our walk with the Lord. And wisdom strengthens us to understand with knowledge. Verse 20 goes, For there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. In Psalm 14, Solomon's uh, fathers wrote this, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have abominable works. There is one who is who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there is any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. The point is well made. We are all sinners, and we need God's grace. There is no one who can stand and say, I am righteous in myself. Even Paul had to say, O wretched man that I am, who will save me? And the answer is Christ will. Yet at the same time, Paul could say, Follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. In John 1, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. What does all mean? Do we all know that Greek lesson? All is all, and that's all that all means. <laughs> oh, and you were so quiet, John. You have your moments, don't you? Solomon goes on in verse 21. He says, also, do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. I had to really think about that because it really hurts our feelings when we hear someone speaking bad about us. Sometimes a healthy sense of our own Imperfection can help us deal with the criticism of others. Sometimes I'm just glad they don't know everything about me. They'd really have something to talk about, wouldn't they? <laughs> you know, when Shimei cursed David, Abishai wanted to cut off his head, but David reply implied that perhaps Shimei's cursing wasn't too far off the mark. And he spared him. We need to forgive as much as we need forgiveness. Every one of us. In verse 23, All this I have proven by wisdom. 
I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. As for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find out? The verb here means to put to the test. When he says, I have proven by wisdom. We are plagued by mysteries and unanswered questions. The realm of the unknown remain unexplored, but our God knows. Do me a favor. I want you to turn to Job. It's to your left. Chapter 28. Because what Solomon was talking about was wisdom. He said, I thought I was so smart. I thought I was so wise, but it was far from me. I can't figure it all out. And, and I know it must have, uh, uh, you know, a troubled uh, Solomon. Chapter 28, starting at verse 12. But where can the wisdom be found? Where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not, with, not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be purchased with gold, nor, nor can silver be weighed for its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx and sapphire, neither gold nor crystal can equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewelry of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral and quartz, and the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. You get the idea that it's really valuable. And he goes on in verse 20. From where then does wisdom come? Where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, we have heard a report about it with our ears. God understands its way. He knows its place and he looks to the ends of the earth to see under the whole heavens to establish a weight for the wind and a portion for the waters by measure. He made a law for the rain and a path for the thunderbolt. And he saw wisdom and declared it. And he prepared it. And indeed, he searched it out. And to a man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Man, that was so much for me to just chew on this week and think about. If we come to this Bible study and you don't get nothing, if you would just remember this, search this out. He says, the fear of the Lord, this is wisdom. And that fear of the Lord is to understand who he is. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and they said, Teacher, what is the great commandment? And Jesus said, 
Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And God gives us a promise. If we search him out, we will find him. And I thought about this and I thought, you know, this is true wisdom to know who God is. And, 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 and we, we practice our religion and we come to church and we do all the things, we stand, sit down, put our money in the basket, sing a few songs. But to understand who we're really standing before and singing songs to. And see, Solomon at his old age realized this. I missed out. I turned my eyes just for a moment. I started following other gods. But this is true wisdom. See, it changes everything. It changes. You cannot escape the sin in your life unless you realize who you're going to stand before when it's all over. You will not tackle the sin problem until you realize that you need the Spirit of God to guide you. And you need that fear of the Lord. That we would know him in all his wonder, his glory. To seek him with our whole heart. He reveals himself to us in all his majesty and wonder. And just like Moses at the top of the hill, he didn't need water, food, or any nourishment because he was standing in the presence of God and nothing else mattered. And when he came down from the mountain, his face shined. But see, Moses didn't know his face shined. But all the other people had to cover their faces because he was so bright and they had to cover him with a veil. And when we're in the presence of the Lord, our faces shine. I don't want to offend him. And I learned to do those things that please him. And I learned to depart from evil. And God gives me understanding to those areas in my life that offend him. The fear of the Lord is true wisdom. Let's turn back to uh, Ecclesiastes 7. I wanted to go off into that tangent because... We could, we could teach and preach and sit in Bible studies, but until we get that, it just becomes religion and, and, and things that we do. It just becomes a, a ceremony. And, and, uh, and, and we could just go week after week of uh, doing our religious activities and not really know who the Lord is.
Verse 25 goes, And I applied my heart to know, to search and seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness, in spite of his failures to understand and come up with answers to all life's questions, Solomon persevered in his search for great wisdom and the solution to human heart. He wanted to understand wickedness and folly. And why do people abandon themselves to a botchery and shame? And I've often thought that too. Why do we put ourselves through what we do before we come to Christ? Why do men do what they do? The extent that we take sin, what some men will shove in their veins and stick up their nose and consume, trying to take it a little further, trying to numb that pain a little more, will go to any lengths for folly. And all the so-called experts and psychologists, will tr- they're still searching today. And if you're willing to hear them, they'll try to give you their answers. <laughs> Verse 26 goes, And I found more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. Now Solomon thought of the influence of a loose woman or a prostitute. Her snares and influence are more bitter than death. A man who loves God and aims to please God will escape her, but the man of the world will be trapped by her. And I thought of, you know, When we used to, when, when, when the world would go out, we would have to almost search, we'd have to search out porn and, and, and go to places and seek it out. But when we have sin so easily ready at every fingertip of every computer in every home. See, we've made sin so easy. And... I know Solomon looked back and he had to think about all the women who had snared him, all the foreign women who enticed him away from the Lord into worship of other gods. And that's what the world does. It snares us from the love of God. And it hardens our heart to receive the true joy. To escape this woman is to fear God and to seek and please Him. Paul said, flee fornication. He also said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I'm not saying all women are evil. Solomon was. No. <laughs> but you know, it's... it's, it, it's uh, How easy sin can snare us. 
Verse 27 goes, Here is what I have found, says the preacher, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason, which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. Ooh, harsh. Solomon concluded the whole human race was nothing but dirt balls. By sin, bound by sin, and that one in a thousand was wise. And not one woman. You know, it's noteworthy the, the one in a thousand because Solomon had a thousand wives. And he could not find one friend among a thousand. But see, he was a wise man. And he had to look around him and see happy couples everywhere he went. Happy marriages. And he had to remember what God told him. You shall not multiply wives. You see, God could not bless Solomon in the sin that he was in. He said, do not multiply wives, do not multiply horses, and do not multiply gold. Because God wanted to be Solomon and every king's all in all. He wanted to be their provider. See, God doesn't want to hold us back from joy. He wants us to be filled with his joy. He wants us to have everything. He created sex. And he made it perfect in the Garden of Eden when he made Adam and Eve one flesh. They thought alike. They did alike. They, they adored one another. And every once in a while, we get to experience that here on earth. And Solomon had to look around and see, I missed it. I missed it. See, this is also what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 12, 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. That's Solomon. In Proverbs 18, verse 22, he says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, this is coming from Solomon. I believe he knew he, he rented off the road. You know, that's loneliness, my friend, when, when, when you can't find one friend in a thousand. Because God could not bless his sin. And that goes true with you and I. If we live in sin, God cannot bless our relationships. God cannot bless our life if we choose to habitually sin against him. Verse 27 goes, no, we already read that, didn't we? Verse 29, truly this only I have found, that God made man upright, that he have sought out many schemes. Even though God made everything beautiful and made man upright, in his image, man steals schemes and plots on new ways to sin against God. 
Each forward step in science seems to open up another Pandora's box of new problems for a world to deal with. Until we find ourselves with problems of polluted air, water, depleted natural resources, and new ways to kill one another, even babies. We have a a new pill called the morning after. It's just an abortion in a pill. That if you forget, just take this pill. It'll kill the baby. We have devised alluring new forms of sin that are destroying families and lives. Chapter 8 goes, Who is like a wise man? And who knows interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine. And the sternness of his face is changed. Despite all the wisdom and possessions, Solomon made foolish choices. As an old man, he looked back on his life and he could not hide his regrets. So much of what Solomon thought would bring him happiness, money, learning, fame, even wisdom, crumbled before his eyes. How could you fix such a wrong? One way is by warning you and I, by teaching us to fear and love God. That is wisdom paid forward. True wisdom lights up the face of a man and woman. God's countenance gives our countenance a glow and our face shines. And I used to make a man at my work really angry. And I, I really liked the guy. And uh, every day I'd say, good morning. Ah! And I just could just tell that I got under his nerves. And we would have conversations. I could just tell he was frustrated every time we talked. Then one day, as I was driving by him in one of the company vehicles, he looked at me and said, Why are you always smiling? And I got it. Because... See, my job wasn't any better than his. We had pretty much the same job. We worked at the same place. In fact, he made more money than me and had a better job. But he hated his job. His life at home was miserable. His kids got on his nerve and he was just a miserable sort. And I was unaware that I was smiling as I went through my daily work. Because see, the difference between me and him as as I was going through my daily job, the Lord was walking with me through it. And I would have scripture verses on my on my mind and, and I'd just be meditating on the Lord and I had worship music going on in my hatch house and I had a skip and a jump and and uh My smile just made him crazy. See, he could not stand the shine on my face. And he had to just proclaim, why are you so happy? 
Solomon ended chapter 7 by saying how he struggled to find a wise man or a woman. And then he starts out chapter 8 with a smile on his face. I sort of see Solomon smiling. Verse 2 and 3 goes, I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God, and do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Wisdom teaches us to, to know how to act in the presence of one in authority. You know, our king is Jesus Christ. We need to keep his commandments. But we also need to keep and obey the laws of the land, the authority around us. Don't be a lawbreaker. And I couldn't help. I, I was going to tell a story about when we went to the men's retreat two years ago. But I decided not to. That would, that would, be, that would be too mean. How we got pulled over twice, Jackie. I'm, but I'm not going to talk about that. I said, Jackie, you don't speed through Shoshone. They'll get you every time. They're going to get you. You've you got to go. When it says 25, you've got to go 25, not 26. Yeah, yeah, Fritz, yeah. I was going to tell this story, but I... I Not once. He got pulled over going into Shoshone. And as we were exiting, but I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> Don't be a lawbreaker. <laughs> Jesus taught his disciples, now when they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Do me a favor. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. That's to your right. Because I don't think Solomon was writing this as a king saying, better listen to me. He was writing as a preacher. And he says, do this unto the, unto the Lord. Don't do it because I'm right and my rules are right. Do it to please God. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1 goes, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authorities? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, a avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, 
but also conscience sake. That's God's sake. You know, you cannot be a good witness and be a lawbreaker. Is that right, Jackie? Yes, sir. <laughs> you know, we're, we're called to be a, test, a testimony of Christ always in whatever we do. When Paul was brought before Felix, his works, his words made them tremble. And his testimony brought the response from Felix. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Our shining faces are a testimony of God's favor. Peter exhorted us to submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Verse 4 goes, Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, What are you doing? He who keeps his commandment will experience nothing harmful. In the 70s, there was a prominent saying, Don't bother to vote. The government always gets in. Again, I need to show proper respect to those in authority, even when I think they're wrong, whether it's a moving violation or witnessing where it's not permitted. There's a time and a place. If you, if you think you're wrongly accused, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. You don't stand at the side of the road and argue with an officer that's trying to do his job. You know, there you go, Rusty. You pay, you pay me later. <laughs> you know, it's never a good witness to get thrown in jail or to get a ticket. And there is a time and place for a proper dispute. Verse 7 goes, verse 6. Because every matter, there is a time and a judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly. For he does not know what will happen, so who can tell him when it will occur? I couldn't help when I read this, of thinking of the grandkids in the back seat, saying to Grandpa, Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Ten minutes later, Grandpa, are we there yet? No jet. We've got a little ways to go. Because we are sometimes just like kids in the back seat. We can't wait. We want justice and we want it now. God's timing often frustrates us. It is hard for us to wait for the perfect timing of God. The misery of man increases greatly. See, it hurts to wait. So we tend to perpetually move out ahead of God, which brings even more misery and hurt. It is all a matter of timing in God's hands. God knows what he is doing, and he does everything right on time. He's never late. His timing is perfect. 
He hears us and he has not forgotten us. But the problem is he doesn't usually tell us his plans. And it frustrates us. And we just have to learn to trust and obey. We tend to stand frustrated. Just wait on him. So many times they tried to crown Jesus king and he slipped out of, out of their midst. When he fed the 5,000, they were overjoyed and they tried to put a crown on his head and he slipped out of their midst. Over and over again, the Bible says, for his time had not yet come. His time had not yet come. Mary said, Jesus, here's your golden opportunity. Turn water into wine. He says, woman, what is this to me? My time has not yet come. And that sort of just slips overhead and we don't understand. But God, every day, every event, everything that Jesus did, whether he turned right here, he turned left, he went to Jerusalem, every moment was a divine appointment in God's hand. And he was seeking instruction from the Father. And when that day came, not only how many times they tried to crown him king, when that day came, he said, okay, go down to the gate. There'll be a donkey waiting. Bring me the donkey. My time has come. And see, it was that day, that glorious day of Jesus' triumphal entry, Not only did he allow it, he arranged it. Paul wrote to the Galatians, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Verse 8 goes, No one has power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, and no one has power in the day of death. And there is no release from that war, and the wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. We cannot prevent his spirit from departing or determine the time for which he would die. He called this a war with the spirit. Obviously, this really troubled Solomon so that he had no peace with death. No one has control over the day of his death. Even one who commits suicide is a victim of his his circumstances. Do me a favor and turn with me to 1 Corinthians Chapter 15. Starting at verse 35, he goes, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive until it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain. And perhaps wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as he pleases and teaches and each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, 
But there is one kind of flesh for men, another flesh for animals, another for fish, another for birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. And one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, and it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That is Jesus Christ. Whoever the spirit is not first, but the natural, and after the, after the spiritual. The first man was the earth, made of dust. The second man, Jesus, the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as in the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. See, we're going to look like Christ. We're going to be just like him. And he gave us examples of that when he was raised from the dead and he appeared to the disciples because he appeared to them and sometimes they they recognized him, sometimes he held that back from them and sometimes they recognized him. They didn't have to open the door for him for he just appeared before them. And when he was done, he just walked through the wall. And uh, it says in, 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 uh, in Revelation that he shines like the sun. And uh, you and I, Paul was taken up into the third heaven and he said, what I seen and what I heard it would be a sin for me to explain what I saw. We have no idea what's in store for you and I. And he goes on to say, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We shall never die. We fall asleep. Death is swallowed up in victory. Jesus defeated death on the cross for each one of us. And if you understand what he says there, in a moment, in a twinkling eye, we, not, we will not all 
die, but some will be taken up. In the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. And like Jackie was saying this morning, you know, we, we hate to lose loved ones, but it's selfishness in our part not to let them go. Because if they had a choice, they would not come back when they go to be with the Lord. We will never taste death, for to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But Solomon had no peace. Verse 10 goes, I'm going a little late tonight. I'm sorry about that. Then I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This also is vanity because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore the heart of the son of men is full set in them to do evil. I believe the preacher had observed the funeral services of both the just and the unjust. And both were treated with the same honor. And this frustrated Solomon. Even at death there is no justice for the wicked, since the wicked see no penalty for sin. And he says, evil work is not executed speedily. The hearts of men set themselves to do more evil. And I believe when the courts and the justice system do not enforce the laws of the land, evil men go free. There is no penalty for injustice. And crime of all kinds go without cost. Lawlessness will abound. It is amazing how we have the capability to dismiss the consequences of our action simply because justice is not eminent. And it is unfortunate that we just don't do what is right. See, it's not the moral aspect of the law that makes man obey. Unfortunately, it is the threat of harsh punishment, and we are lacking that in our government today. If punishment is not served and given, the law is without effect. Verse 12 goes on to say, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him, but will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity which occurs on earth, that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. When we are faced with injustice all around us, we need to hold on to the promise that God has triumphed over sin through his son and there is a higher judge than all and that God's going to make all things right when he appears and there is not one man that will not stand before him 
the one that knows all. In Romans 3 it says, There is none righteous, no, not one. He goes on to say, There by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. I stand in Christ alone in his righteousness. I am justified only by Jesus in his grace and mercy. Because I also need to stand in that mercy of God and be washed in Christ's righteousness and not my own. Verse 16 goes, When I applied my heart, I know wisdom, and to see the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night. Then I saw all the works of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. Wisdom is important to the person who wants to get most out of life. Wisdom cannot explain every mystery or solve every problem. Some things remain unknown and may be cause for sleepless nights and sleepless days. Every answer of man's questions and frustration is divine revelation. God reveals it to us. God continually reveals himself to us and keeps us hungry for more revelation. God has revealed that his ways are far beyond ours. He says in in Isaiah, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We need to forsake pointless speculation and turn to him and trust. Solomon drew two conclusions. Death is unavoidable and life is unpredictable. Isn't it true? I believe that the best thing we can do is trust God, live by faith, enjoy whatever blessing God gives us. I'm discovering many things. Traffic eventually clears up. Worship practice isn't chaos, but a work of art made with friends. In Idaho, it's not smog. It's a burn barrel out of control. I'm learning that if I look, if I open my eyes and observe, there are many reasons to take my hat off, look up to the source of all, and just say thanks. Because God is good and he loves us and he is teaching us good things. I'm learning, don't sweat the small stuff. And it's all small stuff. Amen? Let's all stand and pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you. Help us to renew our commitment to you. To leave everything we are to you, 
your care, Lord. Increase our faith as we learn to walk faithfully with you and in your word. Help us to say no to the world and yes to you. Help us to hear the true voice of Jesus Christ amid all the voices of pressure and allure of this world. We don't really know how unless you teach us. Lord, and you are faithful. Lord, uh, teach us faithfulness. Thank you, Father, for giving us this source of light, this source of strength in your holy word, for giving us an opportunity to uncover the treasure awaiting to be discovered in your word. Your word is true. Lord, your word is truth. Lord, we just thank you for this time with you. Lord, that you would just uh, go with us and, and keep us safe. Lord, use us as a light into, your, into the world, Lord, that we would shine for you. Lord, that we would be salt. Lord, uh, Lord, I pray, use us. Lord, that we wouldn't be uh, bench warmers, but we would be doers of your word. Lord, we can't do that without your power, without your spirit. Lord, give us more. Empower us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. band ditched out on me tonight. What you say, Lord, you gave life to can explain just how much you mean to me now that you save me give all that I am to you every day I will be a light that shines your name every day Lord I learn to stand upon your word and I pray that I that I come to know you more you will guide me in every single step that every day I can be a light unto the world. Every day it's you I live for. Every day follow after you. Every day walk with you, my Lord. Every day, Lord, I learn to stand upon your word And I pray that I, that I come to know you more You will guide me in every single step that Every day I can be a light unto the world Every day it's you I live for Every day follow after you Every day Walk with you, my Lord. 
every day for you, Lord. Every day follow after you. Every day walk with you, my Lord. You I live for every day. It's you I live for every day. You I live for every day, Lord. It's you I live for every day. You I live for every day. It's you I live for every day, my Lord. Every day, it's you I live for. Every day, follow after you. Every day, you with you, my Lord. Every day, it's you I live for. Every day, follow after you. Every day, walk with you, my Lord. with you my Lord Lord we just thank you Lord it is a walk and sometimes we just need to stand in faith Lord and put on the whole armor of God Lord that uh, Lord that we would win this battle Lord uh, in you Lord uh, for you have already conquered sin Lord we just need to stand Lord and stand in faith Lord uh, teach us true wisdom Lord, is that fear of you, that, that reverence, that love of our God. Lord, to glory in you and to know you as you really are. Lord, we just give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.